I was uh, told by one of our younger teenagers uh, this week that there's no need for me to announce or ask you to turn your Bibles into First John. He said, we're already there when you stand up. So <clears throat> if you're not there, if you're a visitor or you haven't been paying attention, turn to First John. We're going to look at that in uh, just a moment. You know, um, really appreciate what Rondell was sharing and uh, was touched by uh, his daughter's um, goals and some of the things that she was striving for at 11 years old. And it uh, made me think of what I often, uh, I often think of this, actually. I, I think about young people. I, I spoke at a graduation yesterday and seeing these um, children grow up from first or second grade, and here they are graduating from high school now. And I wonder what people who grew, who grew, who grew up here, uh, what impression they are getting from this time that we call a sermon. And I'm sure certain Sundays is totally boring and too long and, you know, whatever. But I hope that they're getting a sense that, that we are examining God's word, that there's something exciting about this. That there's some riches here that are that are wonderful and that will that will serve us for the rest of our lives. And so I, you know, I think, you know, when they when they leave and they go off to college or they go off, get married and move away. You know, what do they remember of their time here at Central? Not only the singing and the fellowship, but the lessons that we have. And I hope you, you get the sense that we study God's word because that is where we find out about God and how to love him. And that's that's wonderful. In that chapter of 1 John, verses 16 through 18, let's read it together. It says, this is how we know what love is. Very interesting. She says we're going to find out. She wants to find out about loving God. Well, look here. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Now, as we look at this, this area of 1 John, this portion of verses 11 through 18 is, is a section here. What I have seen is aspects of motivation. We have some motivation. God has given us motivation of how we are to live our lives. And this motivation is the motivation to love. And this comes from this, the practical application of working out the gospel in our lives. And the gospel is the good news about Jesus. Fine. But what's the practical application, the working out of the gospel in our lives? And so he says in verse 11, this is the message. That you love one another. This is the good news. This is God's message. This is his, his uh, gospel. That you love one another. And so he begins, as we're trying to do, John begins to define this is love. This is God love. And he starts out by showing you what love is not. I think it's a, that's a good way of, of, uh, of, um, of learning something. If you look at the opposite. I mentioned I spoke at a graduation yesterday. You know what my topic was? 
Five ways to live an unhappy and miserable existence. <laughs> and the reason I did that is because I want you to learn how to do the opposite. I wanted to encourage the teenagers, the graduates, to do the opposite of that. And so John does the same thing here. He says, don't love like Cain loved, quote, you know, in quotations, because he didn't love. He lived a self-centered existence. He turned a deaf ear to God's instructions. And that led to murder. He said, don't do it like, like Cain. And then he goes on to say in verse uh, 13, he says, the whole world system is anti-love. He says, so don't be surprised if... And when the world hates you, this this is normal of the world because it's anti-love. And you would think and you would hope. And I guess as you as you first walk into the Christian life, you think, you know, if I just love people, the world, the people around me, the world will be encouraged and they'll be motivated to respond in God love and they'll respond in the same way. And John says, that's naive. That's not going to happen. You go out there and love people and you learn how to love people like Jesus loved pe- people. And here's the results. They're going to treat you the same way they treated Jesus. How did they treat Jesus? They killed him. And they may not literally kill you, but they will kill you in different, different types of way, metaphorically. And so the gospel calls us to this, what I keep referring to as God love, God love. And he says you grow in that love. And through this, this, this uh, growing in that love, you're going to find a basic motivation on how to live that way. And it's based in a couple of things. It's, it's based in the realization of where we are living. And we're not talking about a, this physical reality. We're talking about some spiritual truth, spiritual realities. He says this is based in, number one, who we are. You operate out of who you are. Chapter 3, verse 1, he says, How great the love of the Father is that he lavished on us, that he should call us, what? Children of God. And then he emphasizes it and he says, And that is what we are. You're God's child. And so remember who you are. And then remember where you are in, in, uh, in, our, in, in verse 14. He says, uh, We know that we have passed from what? Death to life. He says that's where we exist. But from the we went from the sphere of death to the sphere of life. That's where we're really living. And this word life here is Zoe, and we're going to refer to that in uh, the uh, contrast here in a few minutes. But Zoe life is eternal life. It's God life. And he says that's where you're living. You're living in the life of God. And these are things we know. We know this. He says. He says over and over we know this, but we forget. And so we need to be reminded. We know we should love one another. But how often are we tempted not to love? And so he reminds us this is, this is what we should do. We, we, we do love one another. We know that we've passed from death to life. But we're tempted to live in this, this life, this earthly existence, as if we haven't. And so he reminds us, we know this. Remember this. You have passed from death to life. You know that if you go about killing other people, literally or metaphorically, God life, Zoe life cannot be in you. You know this. And so when we're tempted to kill with a word, we're tempted to kill with a look, we're convicted of that. And we repent, we change, we need the reminder. That's not the way we are to live. That's not the way we are to love. 
And so now John comes to this section and he gives us the supreme example of love, practical application to it. And then he calls us. He says, now live that way. Let's look at this. He starts out by talking about Jesus. The consummate example of love. The perfect example. The flawless, supreme example in the, in the first part of verse 15. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Now, as I said, we're letting John, or really the Holy Spirit, through the writings of John, define love for us. We're going to look at a definition of love today that's going to help us in our lives. Love is something that takes a lifetime to learn. You're going to have to learn it and relearn it and learn it again and you get better at it as you go along. But we're going to define it. We're going to put it, learn how to put this into practice. And the best way to, to define something is through the example of a person. And this is what he does. He just did the opposite. He said, now don't love and look at Cain. Don't love like that. But I want you to love, look at Jesus. And the, the, the extreme is here. We have Cain, a literal murderer. And then over here we have Jesus, who gave his life uh, for us. Uh, sometimes we'll talk, I mean, Rondell just talked about his mother and his grandmother's great-grandmother. And we will refer to people as a loving person. My grandmother was a loving person, or my mother or my teacher was a loving person. But sometimes they weren't. But Jesus, and we must understand this, everything he did, everything he said, can be defined in one word, love. Sometimes we think, well, you know, we love and we don't love and we are happy and we are angry. And, but Jesus, everything he did can be defined in this one word, love. And that's not love the way the world defines it. It's not love the way you have been programmed through literature and television and interaction with people to define love. And so it kind of takes us aback at first. We need to look at God's definition of love and say, this is what it is. Jesus is love. You know, Jesus didn't always make you feel love. But he always acted in love. And I have several pictures up there to kind of illustrate them. I doubt very much that Peter felt love when Jesus turned to him and said, get behind me, Satan. I don't think he said that in a Shakespearean way. I think he was came across with strong emotions. In my mind, he's pointing a finger in his face and he says, Peter, get behind me, Satan. He didn't even use Peter. Get behind me, Satan. Peter could have said, that's not very nice. You hurt my feelings. But that's exactly what Peter needed at that point in his life. And that's what the other disciples needed to hear in that point in their, in, in, in their lives. That was a loving thing for Jesus to say. Someone once came to him and said, I'm, I'll follow you wherever you want to go. Wherever you go, I'll follow you. And Jesus says, animals have places to sleep. I don't. Think about it. And I, I think he said that very bluntly. 
It might have, you know, here's this guy's all excited. I'll follow you. I'll go wherever you go. And we, you know, someone says that to us, hey, I want to follow Jesus. We're all excited and everything. And Jesus turns to him and says, animals have a place to sleep. Now, that's a paraphrase. He said, foxes have holes, birds have nests. He's saying, animals have a place to sleep. I don't. You still want to follow me? Think about it. And another person he actually turned to him and said, you follow me. And the guy says, well, you know, uh, my dad, I have to bury my father. And Jesus says, and it almost sounds crass, he says, let the dead bury the dead. And what that really meant, and that was idiom in their day and time, that, that really meant, I have responsibilities. Let me take care of my responsibilities. I have children to raise, I have a job, I need to retire. When I retire, then I'll follow you. That's really what he's saying. And Jesus said, don't wait that long. Let the, dead, let the dead take care of dead things. You've come and follow me. Not too nice. But it's loving. He told several that he healed, don't tell anyone. Can you imagine that? Here's someone who is blind and he heals them. And he says, don't tell anyone. Because he knew what would happen. Other people would come. And, and they wouldn't want to be healed. And that's exactly what happened. That's not very nice. To heal one person and not heal another person? What's wrong with Jesus? It was the loving thing to do because Jesus said, you know my real purpose? My real purpose wasn't to come and heal every person because they're going to die eventually. My real purpose is to teach about the kingdom of God. That's what I really came to do. And sure, along the way I can heal people. That's fine. And it proves who I am, sure. But I don't want to spend all my time healing people. But I'm hurt. My shoulder's hurting. I fell off a ladder. And I thought about that, you know, if someone could just touch this shoulder and it would be healed, how nice it would be. Nope. Jesus said, I, I didn't come to do that. That's not very nice. You know, I don't think the money changers felt really good when the coins were flying all over the place. Those selling animals didn't think Jesus that, that was that loving when he said, pack up these things and get them out of here. Not nice. But it was a loving thing to do. He told a group of men that their father was Satan. And he called them liars. Wow. And these men were church leaders. Bunch of liars. Your father, Satan. Yeah, wow. Exactly. Not nice, was it? But it's a loving thing to do. He told same group. He said, uh, you know, when you go out and evangelize, when you go knock doors, when you're going out and doing all these things and you're bringing people to God, actually what you're doing, you're making them twice the son of hell as you are. Wow. Was that very loving? It was love. That was love. Because at that point in their life, that's what they needed to hear. They needed to hear what they were doing. And so Jesus confronted them at that point. It was loving. And we don't have time to look at all these statements and see why it's love as opposed to not nice. But I've said in the past... Jesus wasn't always nice. You know, we, we, we sing songs about Jesus being, there's one song about Jesus being sweet and something. I can't remember. I told my mom and my sister, when I die, don't come up to the casket and say he was sweet. <laughs> my mother can call me sweet. That's fine. I told her that. But, you know, Jesus wasn't sweet. He was kind. He was gentle. He was meek. He wasn't sweet. Sometimes he just told you straight in your face, this is the way it is. 
But you know, every time he did it, it was a loving thing to do because he said it at the right time in the right place in the right way. And it says here that he laid down. This is how we know what love is. Jesus laid his life down for us. This example of love is the ultimate example of love. And normally what we think of is the cross, don't we? He laid his life down for us. We think of him on dying for us. And this is true. Of course, that's true. His physical death, laying down his life for us, was what we needed. But he laid aside his life for us on a daily event, on a daily basis. And just as he always acted in love, he always laid his life aside. And that's what the word actually means. He laid aside. You go to John chapter 13. It's a saying you, you sometimes you can you, you see how it's used in one context. You can see how it used, it's used in this context. And what that word is, is the same is the same word when Jesus, he gets up from the table when the men are arguing about who's the greatest. John chapter 13. And it says he takes off his garment, takes off his outer garment, and he lays it aside. That's what the word means. He takes something off. He laid it to the side. And that's the the very same word here. He laid aside his wants. He laid aside his desires. He laid aside his feelings in order to lovingly serve every day. This is an everyday uh, lifestyle of his. Let me give you one example. And we could we could spend a long time in, in this. In fact, we could spend we could go through the whole book of John and do this. We did. All right. <laughs> and we can see it over and over. And that's why we did that. So we can see this over and over. But in Matthew, Matthew records in uh, chapter 14 that Jesus, he needed to rest. You know, Jesus got tired. He was a he was a man. He was physical. He, he physically got hungry. He physically got tired and he got tired. And he got in the boat and he said, let's, let's, just, let's, take, let's sneak away. Let's get to the other side. Let's rest. The Sea of Galilee, this, the only place I would really, really want to go over to Israel is the Sea of Galilee. Because that's the only thing I know that's the same. You know, the place where whatever is, you know, is, has church buildings on top of this and that. But the Sea of Galilee is the same. And that's what I like to see. I like to look across and see how far across it is. And I, I think one direction from north to south, you can't see all the way across. But from east to west, I think you can on a clear day. And you go there. He got in this boat and he takes off. And the crowd notices he's sneaking away. And so they, they just run around the shore, you know, keeping an eye on that boat. And when he finally lands, what the, there's people all over the place. What was Jesus' reaction to that? Desperately need, needing rest. I would have said, let's go back the other way. We'll see how, how much they can run back and forth. <laughs> let's go this way. Let's go that way. But, you know, it said Jesus had compassion. He laid down his life. Instead of being irritated like I would be, he had compassion. Laid down his life. Served those people. Healed those people all day long. Taught them. And this is why it's so important to study the life of Jesus and to meditate on his life and to see how he constantly laid down his life for people. And he says, we know this. We know that he did this. We know how what love is. And this knowing here is knowing through experience. We've experienced Christ's love. We came to realize in spite of our sins that God loves us. And we, we saw this through the life of Jesus, that God loves us and we see it through Jesus. And this love wasn't theoretical love. 
but a very practical love. It says the word God became flesh, became human and lived among us. John chapter one, verse 14. God loved us so much. He says he did not count his place in heaven to be his place of equality uh, with God, something to be grasped. But he laid it aside. We read over in, uh, that's found over in Philippians. Let me read verses five through um, eight of Philippians chapter two. When he says your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature, God, who was God, did not consider equality with God something to be hung on to. But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance of man. He humbled himself. He became obedient to death, even death on the cross. He laid down his life in, in becoming man, in, in becoming a man in living and serving. And ultimately, of course, in his atoning death. And so John says, and so we should do the same. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Now, normally, when you first read that, you think, you know, what he's talking about here is we need to die for one another. And that could be possible. But in our day and age right now, there's no apparent immediate danger. The chances of someone having to die for someone else today is is um, would be very rare. Now, there are places in the world, I know that, but we're talking about here and now. And so when we look at this, we can say, we could say theoretically, oh, yes, I love you so much, I die for you. And there's no danger. It's easy to do that, isn't it? Yeah, I'd die for you, but I wouldn't give you the time of day. <laughs> and, and so, you know, here he's saying, let's get away from the, 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 the uh, theoretical here. Um, this definition of laying down our lives is the same word that when Jesus daily laid down his life, we too learn how to daily practically lay down our lives in love. And I think this is where, and I talked about this last week a bit, where we get like and love mixed up. I want to just touch on this very briefly. We are not called to like one another. We're called to love one another. And they're quite different from each other. Let me give you some examples. You don't have to think about liking someone. It just happens. It's based on something you have in common. It's personalities. Something clicks between you. Uh, between you and another person. And you, you like them. Uh, it's a combination of things that's hard to put a finger on. Sometimes you'll say, I don't, I don't know why I like that person, but I don't like that person. Uh, it's natural. It's a physical thing. It has to do with expressions. It has to do with looks. It has to do with temperament. It has to do with a feeling this person is giving you. Uh, you know, I like you when you're listening to me. Or who's listening to me? I like you. But, you know, those who are sleeping, not listening, I don't like you. <laughs> you know, it's that type of thing. That's just an example. All right. You know, you're genuinely drawn to a person. You consider them a likable fellow or a likable woman. It begins with some sort of feeling. A pleasant feeling that you have for someone else. And listen, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that unless you get it mixed up with God love. When you get this mixed up with God love, you're, you're going to be, it's going to be, uh, you're going to have some problems. And it's especially disastrous if you fall in love with someone and you equate that falling in love with something akin to God love. 
when actually you've fallen in like with someone. A lot of times we just when we fall when we talk about falling in love, we've really fallen in like with someone. And here's the problem. You can unlike someone when things don't click. When your feelings when you when you when you start getting bad feelings, when you no longer have things in common. And for those of us who've been married a long time, we've had those times when, to be honest, you don't like your spouse. I'm not asking for a raise of hands. <laughs> but, you know, if, if I said, now, let's be honest, those of us, not today, but sometime in the distance past, that you did not like your spouse, you know, raise your hand. And everyone honest will say, yeah, that's true. But a lot of people get married based on like. And they call it they call it love. And then as people change and they get to know each other better and they no longer really like a lot of these things, they say, we fell out of love. And they're 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 attaching it to God love. Marriages based on falling in like need to learn how to love. And it's something you can learn. It's something you can actually learn. God love can be learned. And that's what we have to put into our marriage. Like is wonderful. All right. Keep on. I hope you keep liking your spouse. But you can God love your spouse even when you don't like them. God love. What is it? God love is an active decision. The active decision that you make based in truth. That's my own little definition. It's active decision-making. You're making decisions, and it's anchored in what is real and what is true, what is from God's Word, that truth, all right? Not, you know, theoretical truth, but God's truth. And you make decisions how to react or how to act toward a person based in that truth. It's hard to describe. God love is big. It's deep. It takes thought you have to think about it. Like is physical. It's superficial and it's often temporary. God love puts aside reasons, puts aside barriers that hinder expressions of God love. There are certain barriers that come up between people. And God love puts those barriers aside like limits and puts up barriers. I like you when... We're having fun. I like you in this circumstance. I like it when you do this. Those are barriers. God love puts aside those barriers. God love acts in thought, and it might lead to feelings. Often it does, actually. Like begins with feelings, and then it reacts. You have a feeling, and you react to that feeling. Love acts. And it's thoughtful. You think it through. But like is reacting and it's emotional. And I'm not, when I say emotional, I don't mean high emotion. It can be low emotion. It can be just calm emotion. But there's a light. There's a, an emotional reaction in life. God love has the capacity to love even those they do not like. But like is limited. You can only like certain people. And if you think about the ugliness, the crookedness. The twistedness of sin, that's not likable at all. God did not like that, but he loved us. And so God, this is what he did. He made a decision. 
I'm going to fix what's wrong with you. Even though I don't like it. I don't like it at all. In fact, to fix it, it cost him a great deal. It cost him his life. It cost him his son. But he acted in his righteousness and in that atoning sacrifice. He made a decision. He said, this is what's best for these ugly, twisted, crooked, sinful people. And I'm going to do it. That's love. I don't think God had a great feeling toward us. But he loved us. He made a decision. So John then comes and says, I'm going to give you some practical applications to this love. It'd be very easy to say, I love you. And when the opportunity comes, I'll die for you. That's not what he, he does here. Instead, he says this. Here's, here's the practical application to this love. He says, if anyone has material possessions, if anyone has material possessions, and we think about things, don't we? But actually what this says, the literal words here is, if anyone has the life of the world. This is very interesting. I think it's important that we, we see this. If anyone has the life, and the word there is bios, like biology, physical life. If anyone has the life of the world, and we translate that, that uh, material possessions or something like this. And we think about all the things that make earthly living, bios living possible. Everything that makes earthly bios living pleasurable. And we think of things like food, clothing, and shelter, don't we? Well, that's what people need. And so you have, see a guy here, he needs food, we give him food. Because I have some food, I give him food. Or he, he needs clothing, so I, you know, I, I have extra clothes in my closet and I, I give him that. And that's included. We need those things for bios. But, there, but we need more, a lot more. Think about prisoners. Prisoners have food, clothing, and shelter. That's all they need, isn't it? Mm. You ever visit someone in prison? They need more than food, clothing, and shelter. Don't we need friends? Don't we need encouragement? We need direction. We need wisdom in this bios life. We need companions to mourn with us when we mourn. We need people in our lives that rejoice with us when we, when we rejoice in order for us to have a pleasurable, good, bios life. Sometimes it's a helping dollar that we need, but sometimes it's just a helping hand. This physical bios, this emotional bios, this, this, the emotional life, I need something. You know, just glancing as I came in today... Glancing around, I saw some people who had big smiles in their face. Their bios life right now is pleasurable. And I saw some people that, oh, my heart went out to them. And I looked at them and said, I wonder if, they, if they're hurting physically. Are they hurting emotionally? Uh, is it something temporary in their life right now? That they're going through? Or is this some ongoing struggle that they're having? Only you can answer that. Our bios life sometimes gets tired and weary. And then we do something with someone. And it just lifts us up. You know, one of the things I thought of was a couple of years ago, I went with some college students to one of the last indoor football arena games here in Huntsville. I had a blast. 
It was fun. We were sitting in a place that we actually were trying to catch some of the balls that, you know, you catch the ball, you got to keep it type thing. And it was a lot of fun. But, you know, when I left that, my bios life was lifted because I had fun with people. It restores that. That's why we have games. That's why we have celebrations. All right. We had some graduations uh, recently. All right. What if no one attended your graduation? Graduates, where are you? Yeah, there's one. We got some over here. All right. What if you went yesterday or whenever you graduated and no family member came, no friends came? How would that make your bios life feel? Oh, man. You'd feel you'd feel terrible, wouldn't you? And that's what he says. We have something to give here. If any one of you has material possession, if anyone has the, the life of the world, you can encourage people. You can sit with a sick brother or sister in the hospital. You can give a family a break in that way. And it helps their bios life. You can cut someone's grass or help someone move. And I, I, most of you know I hurt my shoulder. My son came over yesterday and cut my grass. Guess what happened to my bios life? <laughs> I felt good. You know, he made me feel good. He came over and cut my grass because he knows I shouldn't be pushing a lawnmower right now. It makes you feel good. And so this is what he's talking about. It's not just giving someone food when they need food and giving someone clothing. It's not just, hey, here's the here's the old shirt. See you later. There's more to it than that. There's this helping someone with homework, helping a student who's having difficulties, tutoring them and on and on, extending compassion, meeting the needs of that bios. Go back to to Philippians. And it, and it just it just fits in here in the. The first half of this where he says, now you be like Jesus. You have the same attitude of Jesus. But look what he's just told them in in chapter two, verse one. If anyone of you have encouragement by being united with Christ, if any of you have been comforted by his love, if you have fellowship with the spirit, any tenderness and compassion then make my joy complete by being like minded, having the same love. Being one in spirit and purpose, and then he tells you what to do. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look after only your own interests, but but after the interests of others. What does this person need? Maybe they need you to take them home and feed them. Have lunch. And it's not the food. We're not talking about the food. We're all well fed. Most of us. Are overly well fed. That's not the point. You know what the point of eating together is? It's not the food. It's being together. It's the encouragement. It's the helping. It's making you feel special. When you invite someone into your home, you know what they feel? They're not looking at your dirty floor. They got dirty floors too. You know, they're not, they don't care about your, your decorations. You know what they care about? You you made them feel liked. You had them into your home. You sat down with them. You told stories. You laughed. You see, God love, agape love, is very practical. It's not this head in the cloud type theoretical, pious, so pious it's worthless. It's nitty gritty. It gets down where bios living occurs. And it's through this God love, this agape love, 
that Zoe life extends into bios life. Agape love loves those we do not like. You can cut the grass of a person who irritates you. Ask my son. (laughs) You can sit with a sick person that's no fun to be with. You can buy groceries for the person you have nothing in common with. You can be patient with a person you'd naturally be impatient with. You can be kind to a person that's mean. That's God love. It's making the decision that, yes, that person is mean. And I'm going to be kind. I'm going to treat them with the same kind of love that God treated me. And it's all because God love is deciding and acting upon what is right and what is true. John then ends this section here with this wonderful word. I love this, this little word. And I do not have a good translation, my own personal translation. In verse 18, he says, dear children. I don't know how to translate that. I've never read a good translation. It's this this word that a nanny would use to children in the nursery. The closest I can get to it is is instead of calling someone Robert, they call him Bobby. Instead of Jillian, it's Jilly. It's 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 that child, you know, it's it's that nickname kind of word. The closest I can get to it is, and it just comes across too flippant, it's something like kiddos. Hey, kiddos. (laughs) Except that's a little bit too flippant. But he sits there and says, oh, dear, dear ones, come on, children, gather around. Come on, kiddos. Let me tell you about this. Says in verse verse 18, kiddos, let's not love with words or tongue, but in action and truth. Come on, kids. Let's do the right thing. He tenderly, lovingly ties it all up for us. Let's not let love be theoretical or theological. This isn't a Bible study. This is, this is not a mental exercise. It's practical. There's people out there that need bios love. There's people that need you to assist them in their bios life. They're hurting physically. They're hurting emotionally. They don't have any friends. They're hurting socially. They're hurting spiritually. They need Zoe life. But the only way we can reach out and give them that eternal Zoe life is through the bios life. If any of you has material possessions, the life of this world, are you emotionally okay? Are you emotionally happy? Share it with someone else. Can you encourage someone else? Can you feed someone else? Can you befriend someone? That's how we extend Zoe life. And then he talks about the truth. He says here, but with actions and in truth. And that's seen in the life of Jesus. It is expressed in God love. This God love we saw in Jesus will call you to go to a wedding. Help out. Sit by a well of your day and reach out to someone. Be with some fishermen or some engineers and teach them. Encourage the widows, the orphans, the friendless. And he says, dear, dear ones. Don't just talk about it. Go out and do it. Um, we're out of time. I'm not going to read the... the I, I've got a section here I'm going to read, but I'm not going to read it. <laughs> I've taken too much time in the beginning to go to the end. So, my encouragement to you, 
Just take that mild slice of yours, extend it out. Who can you extend it out to today? Yeah, and you might be on the other end right now. You need someone to reach out to you. And sometimes we just don't know it. We don't know it. We can't tell. We're, we're clueless sometimes. Especially, I've heard we men are very clueless on these things. And so sometimes something like coming forward and talking to the elders and just say, you know, I need some help. I'm down. I'm out. I need some help. I'm not asking for money. I'm just asking for some, some encouragement. That's what you need. And we're going to ask you to come on up here. We'll encourage you. If not, the best way we can act is afterwards. And we do this so well anyway. But look out among us. Look at the ones who need encouragement. Look at the ones who need love. Bring someone out to lunch today. Encourage them. Help them. Let's build up the body of Christ as we need to be. If you're